Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend is sponsored by IamLIP.com. Trigger warning. Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend deals with the subject of divorce, child custody, domestic abuse, the attitude of public bodies and the family court. Some people may find the content of this episode distressing. Some episodes contain explicit language. My name is Selena. Who am I? I am white, I am black, I am brown, and I am much, much more. I'm a Christian, I'm a Hindu, I'm a Buddhist, I'm a Sikh, I'm a Muslim, I am Catholic, and human to the core. I am every person who did what they were supposed to do, leave and tell. I am every person who was re-abused by the system. I am every person who was disbelieved by the police before I even began to speak my truth. I am every person who faced an unaccountable family court only to be silenced by their orders. I am Anonymous Us and here are our stories. Sandra from Devon. You may be familiar with her, or should I say her type? You know, the type who'll ring into LBC Radio or the Jeremy Vine show, and she'll say something along the lines of, You can't say anything anymore. No. No, sweetheart. It is I who can't say anything anymore, without the traumatic second-guessing, the sleepless nights, churning it over and over and over in my head, wondering how my words are going to destroy my life this time. People like Sandra from Devon? They don't have a clue what it's like not to be able to say what you want anymore. The case with Judge Mansell in the previous episode. What makes me really uncomfortable, disturbed, speechless? The fact that abuse took place was never in denial. It was never in question. The fact that he slapped her so hard she passed out was never in question. The fact that he made her drink bleach so she could die was never in question. The fact that he made her swallow tablets so she could kill herself, that was never in question. The fact that he once strangled her so hard that she had to be rescued by a member of the public, that was never in question. None of it was ever in question. What was in question was her. What this case focused on was her. She left. She picked her life up. She went and got a degree. An MA. It is that that this case focused on. No, not the case. The judge. It was the that that the judge focused on. Surely I can't be the only one who finds that concerning. And what worries me, if I don't say and do something in a particular way, in that particular moment, Does that invalidate everything I went through, all my experiences, dismissed in one go, wiped out in one go? That is a hell of a lot of responsibility to put on my behaviour and very little responsibility on the actions of my abuser. And not just after, but also during the relationship. That's why I'm always second-guessing everything I say, everything I do, how I conduct myself how I pick up my life and move on, the changes I make. Who am I? 
how do I describe myself? Am I a domestic abuse victim or am I a domestic abuse survivor? Because there was the person I was growing up, there was the person I became once I grew up, then there's the person I became at the hands of my abuser when I met them, and there's the person I am now. I feel like a victim, but not just in the relationship, but also post-separation. And I certainly don't feel like a survivor. Yes, I may be alive, but I certainly didn't survive. And when I do describe myself as a victim, there are people out there who take it upon themselves to tell me, I'm wallowing in it. I shouldn't park up and live there. I need to move on. I'm enjoying being the victim. To get over it, I don't have the mindset. I wish these mindset motivators would fuck off sometimes. Actually, not sometimes, all of the time. And I've come to realise that you call people what they want. And for me, I don't want to use the word survivor because I am still struggling and I am still coping. I am someone who experienced domestic abuse. And I am someone who is experiencing post-separation abuse, not just by my abuser, but by the family courts too. So I will use the word I want to use. I'm still a victim. The conversation of whether I am a victim or whether I am a survivor is futile because how I see myself doesn't matter. How I refer to myself doesn't matter. Me, I don't matter. What matters the most important thing is how I will be seen in the family court. And I can tell you one thing from experience. I'm the bottom of the pile there. How I am seen in the family court will directly affect the justice I get. It will directly affect the justice my children get. Because if we go back to the case in the previous episode, the Judge Mansell case, she called herself a victim. The judge disagreed. Yet, if we call ourselves survivors, then their attitude is, no harm done. How I describe myself matters. Who I am, who I want to be, matters. How I describe myself should not directly influence my justice. Whether I see myself as a victim, whether I see myself as a survivor, or whether I see myself as a victim survivor, is only a small part of what happens in the family court because the incidents that were perpetrated upon me will also add another layer to the type of victim I am, the type of survivor I am, but most of all the kind of person I am. Abuse tends to be put under two categories. There's physical abuse and there's non-physical abuse, with the physical abuse being seen as the proper abuse. So let me start there. Physical abuse can be beating, punching, smacking, slapping, pushing, shoving, biting, pinching. It could be striking, striking someone with a shoe, striking someone with a belt, and also throwing, throwing an object at the person. And the one thing that I came to realise, not just as a victim, but also as an advocate and a Mackenzie friend, that within the realm of physical beatings, there are categories, there's a hierarchy, which goes from bad, not so bad, these little things happen in marriages. And these are just the judges straits. Ah, I just need to go off on a tangent and explain to you what a judges straight is. It's a terminology coined by my son. He got fed up with me saying judges and magistrates, magistrates and judges. So he now refers to them as judges straits, 
and I kind of quite like that. And I've also adopted it. And yes, judges and magistrates are not the same thing. And when the time comes, I will explain the difference. And for now in the rest of these podcasts, they're judges Where was I? Ah yes, quality of the incidents perpetrated against you will also influence how your experiences are categorised. I even had a judgestrate correct a woman. Her husband violently grabbed her and threw her down the stairs. The judgestrate decided to rename it a miscalculated push, and his courtroom wasn't the place to embellish facts for her petty little grievances. But surely, how it leaves them feeling, and how it affects the victim, surely that needs to carry some weight. I'd like to introduce you to Adwa, a lady whose experiences I will be referencing throughout these podcasts. Adwa had been in an abusive marriage for over a decade. Malcolm, her husband, used to scream at her, he used to belittle her, he used to insult her, scream, shout, terrorise. But his main abuse language was throwing things. He used to get a huge kick out of throwing things at her, and it could be anything, a wooden spoon, the remote, a shoe. Whatever came to hand would be heading towards her when he was in the full throw of a temper. The throwing of things was the go-to for his abuse, something he would get a kick out of, something he would enjoy. And Adwa could never relax, always on edge. Anything could set him off and at any time something could be thrown at her. She could simply be in the kitchen, washing the dishes with her back to the door. Bang! He'd throw a wooden spoon at her. It was very sadistic. It was like he was floating around on this air of superiority, ready to admonish her whenever he felt like it, whether he felt her actions deserved it or he was annoyed about something else. Adwa would be on the receiving end. When Adwa and Malcolm would go shopping, Malcolm would do this thing where he would insist on pushing the shopping trolley and at some point throughout their visit to the supermarket, he would slam the trolley into the back of Adwa's heels really hard causing her the most excruciating pain. And of course, in case anyone was seeing, he'd make this big deal out of how it wasn't his fault. Mm, I think there's something wrong with the trolley. It keeps pulling to the left, whilst having an evil smirk on his face. This was one of the most frightening feelings for Adwa. She never knew when, during their shopping trip, this trolley, smash, in the back of her heels. The fruit department, cold meats, the freezer section and she would spend the rest of the shopping trip in agony. He got a kick, not only from hurting her, but from the fact that he was terrifying her. She never knew when the next attack was coming. And then once they had paid for the food, she'd then be in for the second round, the verbal telling off. Why was the bill so high? It was her fault, even though they had both gone shopping, even though they had both selected the items, as if the price of food was Adwa's fault. Of course it was. Why didn't she budget better? Why wasn't she looking after the house better? If she didn't waste so many ingredients, they wouldn't need to buy this much. Why couldn't she be like other women at their church? They could keep their homes and their husbands well. The one thing Adwa did say is that throughout her whole marriage, she never remembers feeling relaxed. Not once. And then on one occasion, Malcolm really lost it. Screaming, shouting, pushing, shoving. He had a hammer and he threw it at her with all his might. He was going to kill her that day, but it was potluck that it missed. It went straight past her and through the window. And concerned neighbours called the police. 
Once Adwa and her children were removed for their own safety, she was referred to the organisation I work for. That's where I first met her. What I learnt from Adwa was that many, many victims are unaware that what they are experiencing is abuse because they have a fixed stereotype in their head. Adwa was given a piece of paper to fill out, questions along the lines of, does your partner constantly tell you you're thick and you're stupid? Does your partner belittle you? Are you scared of your partner? Do they stop you spending money? All I could do was sit there and hold her hand as the blood drained from her face as it dawned on her, the severity of the situation she was in. She didn't know half of what was happening to her was classified as abuse. She didn't feel knowledgeable enough to call it that, despite experiencing it. Adwa had no idea what was economic abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, coercive control, gaslighting. When a person doesn't know what is happening to them is wrong, they are not armed with the words to describe what is happening to them. Because talking about such actions is only a recent thing. Then how would they begin to verbalise, telling a judge their experiences? So it dawned on Adwa what was happening to her was wrong. And Dawn quickly turned into denial when the questions began focusing on her sex life. Adwa did not know that a lot of what was happening to her was rape. It was marital rape. She was not consenting. Adwa, like many people, thought rape was a stranger who pounces out at you from a dark corner in the middle of the night, somewhere where you shouldn't be there in the first place. She thought it was being physically forced, being held down, pinned down. And believe it or not, there are still people out there who think that unless it's a stranger pinning you down in a dark alley, it can't be rape. So she did what a lot of victims do. No, no, that isn't happening, that didn't happen. If someone is your partner, it can't be rape. Watching it dawn on someone that they have been the victim of rape is something you never get used to. Being party to their realisation or what they will have to come to terms with moving forward. And now, being brave enough to open up a Pandora's box of trauma, they have to take this box and deliver it to the judiciary, only to be belittled and dismissed. And there are times where you sit there and you think, why do we even go there? Help them open up to the trauma they have suffered. If once they get to the court, only to be told they were wrong, we were wrong, none of this stuff happened and none of this stuff mattered. I accompanied Adwa to see a pro bono barrister, only to be told, unless it was obviously physical, it wasn't abuse. A judgestrate wouldn't see it that way. And looking down at her statement, put a red mark through 90% of her experiences. We shan't mention these to the judge. It only muddies the water. Sorry? Muddies the water? What waters? The water's already muddy. Actually, no, it's a dirty, filthy sewer. Mr. Pro Bono Barrister then went one step further and decided to school us on the fact only proper physical abuse would really count in front of a magistrate. I think it was the legal equivalent of mansplaining. Here's the terminology he used. It wasn't proper abuse if it wasn't a good beating. A good beating. And I have to say at this point, what is it with the courts and the judiciary and the legal profession with a good beating? They seem to love using it and it seems to be their go-to terminology when describing proper abuse for proper victims. But to put the word good and beating in the same sentence? 
and have no one pull it up as red flags. And I've heard that word, a good beating, used more times by the legal profession than anywhere else. And to them, that is abuse. No wonder a slap, a smack, a punch, a tap is not taken seriously. No wonder being grabbed and thrown down a flight of stairs is seen as a miscalculated push. Because it's not a good beating. Having things thrown at Adwa was not seen as serious. He went on to say, Mr Pro Bono Barrister, that all these grey areas, they just complicate things. You know, like pushing, shoving, and depending on the circumstances, even kicking. These little things happen. It's going to be very hard to get a judge to see this as abuse. And then likened it to a light tap on the back of the hand. You know, the type you might give a toddler if they're being naughty. And what I found scary, that this barrister was going to be Adwa's defence. He was going to be the person that she was relying to advocate for her, argue her case. But what's even more scary? That this pro bono barrister was provided to her through a woman's organisation and he regularly represented their clients. Scary. Or was it? Because it turned out Mr pro bono barrister was correct. So was he just telling us the reality and I was shooting the messenger? Once in the family court, Malcolm's barrister said that him throwing things was a good thing because him throwing things was a great way for him to get his frustrations out. That way he wasn't actually hitting her. But Malcolm took on board that now and again, things would hit her. Now and again. Now and again. That's good then. And the magistrate in the family court actually bought this and agreed with Malcolm's barrister's take on it all. But what wasn't looked at is that his intention was to hurt her, it was to frighten her, it was to terrorise her, it was to keep her scared, it was to keep her down. At no stage was Adwa even important in this, how she felt. She had spent years not being relaxed in her own home. And then they were discussing the incident with the hammer that he deliberately threw at her with every intention of hitting her and hurting her and harming her. He had every intention of hospitalising her that evening. But did you know this one action of missing her completely altered the whole situation? A mis-aim of two or three degrees, a trajectory of two or three degrees. That's it. The emotional trauma, the fear, the fear for her life, the fear for her safety, the fear for the safety of her children, that didn't change. But that didn't mean anything. A two to three degree misaim is what changed everything. Are you kidding me? A two degree difference in trajectory is all it took for this family court magistrate to decide what she had gone through was somehow less. What they live with, the fear, the eggshells they walk on, it matters. He had every intention of hitting her that night, every intention of hurting her and harming her. And if that is what is happening in our family courts with physical abuse, then what do you think happens once we start using words to describe non-physical abuse? So, I'm going to leave you with a question. If beatings and bruises were not involved, could you see the abuse? Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend is sponsored by IamLIP.com. If you are struggling with any of the issues discussed in today's episode, please go to www.IamLIP.com 
where you can receive further information and help. Disclaimer. The stories mentioned in this episode are fictional accounts based on and adapted from real-life experiences. Due to the repetitive nature of the family court, any similarities to any other cases are purely coincidental.